Hey guys, it's Brie. You're listening to Brief. Today we are briefing Animal Farm by George Orwell. We will be covering context in this episode, major characters, and chapters 1 through 5. Okay, so context. Animal Farm by George Orwell. George Orwell was his pen name. His real name was Eric Blair. His most notable works are this book, Animal Farm, and 1984, which we'll be doing pretty soon, actually. He was born in Bengal, India to British colonists in 1903, and he grew up attending private schools, including a very notable one called Eton, which is where Prince William, Prince Harry went, and like Tom Hiddleston, I guess. He grew up to be a political essayist, novelist, and critic whose work centered on social injustices and oppression, specifically. He was a democratic socialist. Animal Farm is a social satire that critiques and shows the tactics through which the elite maintain power over the lower classes. It specifically outlines the events leading up to the Russian Revolution in 1917, and it was published right at the end of World War II in 1945. The original title for Animal Farm was Animal Farm, A Fairy Story, but the subtitle was dropped before publication. Through this novel, Orwell was not only able to show people that they were oppressed, but he also showed how they were being oppressed. Orwell was a critic of Joseph Stalin and wanted to bring light to the fact that the Soviet Union had become a dictatorship and had become brutal and was built on terror. In the preface, it says, Stalin and Trotsky were unmistakably Orwell's feuding pigs, Napoleon and Snowball. I'll tell you about them right now when we get into major characters. So Animal Farm is exactly what it sounds like. It's a farm of animals. The majority of the characters are animals. The first is Napoleon. He's a pig. He's large and fierce looking. He's a Berkshire boar. I don't know what kind of pig that is. I just always pictured him as being like a huge dark pig. I don't really know. Anyway, he's the only Berkshire pig on the farm. Not much of a talker but he really likes getting his way. And he is Joseph Stalin, or I guess he represents Joseph Stalin. He's the dictator on the farm. Snowball is the next pig. He's very vivacious. He is super inventive and is also a leader, but not as forceful, I guess, as Napoleon. He represents Leon Trotsky, Leon Trotsky was a Russian revolutionary. He was a Marxist theorist, which means he was super into communism. He's more of like a fair leader. I don't know about that with Trotsky, but I feel like Snowball as a pig is more fair than Napoleon. Okay, the next pig is Squealer. He is Napoleon's right-hand pig. He's super skilled in arguing and convincing others of things that they are unsure about. He holds a position similar to Molotov. I don't know if I'm saying these names right. Molotov, who was a leading figure in the Soviet Union, and he was Stalin's protege. So Squealer is Napoleon's protege. He's super convincing, very persuasive, pretty annoying pig. (laughs) Okay, Boxer is a horse. He's the largest animal on the farm. He works the hardest on the farm, and he adopts the mantra, Napoleon is always right, and also, I will work harder. 
And he has a very brief time where he challenges Napoleon and the pigs when they try to convince him of another lie, which we'll get into later, obviously. And Napoleon sends his dogs after him, which is like his army. Boxer stops them, obviously, pretty quickly because he's much stronger than them. And Napoleon worries that he might be a threat to their dictatorship. Boxer is said to represent the peasants. Clover is also a horse. She takes care of everyone, especially Boxer. And she knows the alphabet and very few animals except for the pigs know the alphabet. But she struggles to read words. Like she knows letters, but she's not very good at reading. And she's always weary of Napoleon and Squealer's plans. She's one of the only ones who is constantly like, that doesn't seem right. Molly, also a horse, the last horse that we're going to talk about. She only cares about herself and her beauty and the bows that she gets to wear and all that jazz. And she leaves the farm after realizing that she's going to have to work really hard and isn't allowed to wear ribbons or eat sugar cubes. And she's said to represent the elite. Benjamin is a donkey. He's the oldest animal on the farm, super wise, but he never really says anything except that life is bad. That's all he says like throughout the whole book is life is bad. Moses is a raven, a tamed raven, and people claim that he's a spy, but he only talks of a place in the sky called Sugar Candy Mountain where animals go when they die. So he's talking about heaven and he's said to be the representation of religion in this story. The sheep, I don't think any of them are named. They're just grouped as the sheep, the whole book. But they are said to represent the media and how it's used to manipulate people. And also they're used to represent the citizens who are deceived by the government. They're probably some of the dumbest animals on the farm. They just don't know anything and they're very easy to manipulate. The last few characters I'm going to talk about are people. So Mr. Jones, he owns Animal Farm, which is originally called Manor Farm. And he owned it before it was overthrown by the Animal Rebellion. And he is said to represent the Russian, I'm going to say this wrong, the Russian Tsar Nicholas II, who renounced his throne and was killed. Don't know a lot about him, but that's who Jones is supposed to represent. Mr. Frederick is an owner of a neighboring farm. It's called Pinchfield Farm. And Napoleon enters into a brief agreement with him, but Frederick pays him in fraudulent money and so then they're not friends anymore and Frederick has his men invade Animal Farm and blow up their windmill that they've been working on for years and Mr. Frederick is said to represent Adolf Hitler. Okay, Mr. Pilkington owns the other neighboring farm called Foxwood Farm and I don't know if this was intentional but it is extremely confusing in the novel to figure out who they're talking about when they talk about Frederick and Pilkington because if you didn't notice Mr. Frederick owns Pinchfield Farm but Mr. Pilkington owns Foxwood Farm so it's like PFPF which one is it I have no idea it's very confusing so I'll try to not be confused and help you not be confused by this but anyway Mr. Pilkington owner of Foxwood Farm he's more easygoing than Frederick and the two of them are on very bad terms But Pilkington is still worried that his animals will rebel against him. That's what all the human farmers are worried about at this time. But he, Mr. Pilkington, is said to represent the allies. And then the last character is Mr. Wimper. He is a man who Napoleon hires 
as like the broker between Animal Farm and humans. And he trades and sells things for Napoleon. And he's said to represent the capitalists who got rich during Stalin's reign. And that's a lot of characters, but there you go. Okay, quick overview of themes. I'm only going to talk about two. One is the cautionary tale about totalitarianism and Stalinism. If I were you, I wouldn't know off the top of my head what totalitarianism is. Totalitarianism is a system of government that is centralized and dictatorial and requires complete subservience to the state. So basically, there's a dictator and he tells everyone what to do and everyone just has to do what he says. Okay, the second theme is oppression or the control of the lower class. And we will get into that later, but I do want you to pay attention as we go through the chapters of all of the ways that Napoleon, especially Napoleon and Squealer, convince the uneducated animals that what they're doing is right. It's crazy the things that they do. Anyway, let's get into chapters. Okay, chapter one. We open at Manor Farm. The animals meet in the barn after a drunk Mr. Jones turns in for the night and joins his wife in bed. Mr. Jones owns the farm. Okay, Old Major is an old boar who is widely respected on the farm among the other animals. He holds a meeting with the others about a dream that he had. As the animals come into the barn, we learn about them in groups. The pigs, dogs, horses, chickens, ducklings, etc. Old Major shares that he feels he's at the end of his life and wishes to impart some of the knowledge he has gained with them. He states simply that their lives are miserable, laborious, and short. They're born, they work hard, they're only fed just enough to keep them going, and then they're killed once they are no longer of service on the farm. Old Major goes through the injustices taken against animals by man and tries to help his fellow farm animal friends see their oppression. So he's trying to convince them or he's just trying to make them understand that they are oppressed. He says, man consumes without producing. He does not give milk. He does not lay eggs. And he asks the hens how many of their eggs have been hatched and asks the cows where their milk went and asks Clover where her fowls have gone, etc. He says that man has taken their eggs, drank their milk, and sold off their fowls. And his message is clear. The animals must rebel and overthrow man. He says all men are enemies. All animals are comrades. Okay, so a vote is taken and the majority votes that they will have a rebellion. So Old Major tells them about his dream and that it was about how the world will be once man is overthrown. He begins to sing this song called The Beasts of England. It's a song about farm animals being free of their dictator human people that have power over them. And I'm not going to read it, but if you want to read it, it's on page 12. Chapter 2. In chapter 2, we come to meet and understand the characters better individually. We meet Snowball, Napoleon, and Squealer, who are the three main pigs. Snowball is perceived to be more it says vivacious quicker in speech and more inventive but was not considered to have the same depth of character as napoleon that's on page 16 napoleon is quiet but he always gets his way and squealer is an excellent talker and very persuasive it says other said of squealer that he could turn black into white he's extremely good at persuading people to do what he wants moses is mr jones tamed raven and we learn he's a spy 
and a talebearer or one who maliciously gossips and he's very clever talker. And I told you in the beginning how he talks about a place called Sugar Candy Mountain where animals go and they die and it's sunny every day and they don't have to work. Some of the animals believe him and the pigs have to work super hard to persuade them that he's not telling the truth. We get to know the priorities of Molly a little bit better. She's a foolish white mare who is upset that she can no longer wear ribbons in her mane. Snowball tells her they are a badge of slavery. Clover and Boxer are the cart horses, and they're described to be the pig's most faithful disciples. It says these two had great difficulty in thinking anything out for themselves, but having once accepted the pigs as their teachers, they absorbed everything they were told and passed it on to the other animals by simple arguments. And that's on page 18. Okay, so three nights after the initial meeting with Old Major, he dies in his sleep. And from March to June, the more intelligent animals take on the responsibility of preparing the rebellion, even though most animals don't believe that it would come in their lifetime. The pigs take on the duty of teaching and organizing other animals for the rebellion because they are recognized as the most intelligent of the animals, which is true if you don't know that. Pigs are super smart, super intelligent. The three pigs, Napoleon Squealer and Snowball, have worked to develop Old Major's speech into what they call animalism, and it's a guiding set of beliefs or code of conduct that they're going to follow. And every night they hold secret meetings to help educate the other animals on the guiding principles of animalism to help prepare them for their rebellion. At first, many of the animals are not down, but Snowball persuades them to come around and each meeting closes with them singing the Beasts of England song. The rebellion arrives much sooner than anyone anticipated. Over the last few months, Mr. Jones had taken to drinking a lot more because he lost money in a lawsuit. So he's just drinking his pain away. And he's a capable farmer, but he'd grown disheartened. And so they took this as a sign of the times, I guess. I don't know. They just decided that this was a good time to attack. They said that his men lacked integrity, to say the least, and the farm was neglected, including the animals. So they're not getting fed as much, and they're pissed. So midsummer and June, the animals had not been fed in two days, and they could no longer take their hunger. It says the cows broke in the door of the store shed, with her horn, and all the animals began to help themselves from the bins. It was just then that Mr. Jones woke up. The next morning, he and his four men were in the store shed with their whips in their hands, lashing in all directions. This was more than hungry animals could bear. With one accord, though nothing of the kind had been planned beforehand, they flung themselves upon their tormentors. That's on page 20. So, Mr. Jones and his men are, get scared. Only after a few minutes, all five men have retreated. Mrs. Jones had seen what happened from her bedroom window and grabbed a few of her belongings and left. And the animals chased Mr. Jones and his man out to the road. And just like that, the rebellion had taken place and the animals were victorious. They celebrate and they destroy any sign of their subjugation. So like halters, bits, whips, and ribbons, anything that represented humans. And they eat corn and sing the Beast of England seven times. The next day, the animals wake up at dawn as usual and then they remember everything is theirs. And they start exploring inside the farmhouse. 
Molly goes missing and she is found admiring herself, holding a blue ribbon against her shoulder in the glass of a bedroom. So she's looking at herself in the mirror and she's reprimanded for this. And it was agreed by everyone that the farmhouse was preserved as a museum and no animal should ever live there. After breakfast, the pigs reveal that over the past few months, they had taught themselves how to read and write. On the gate, Snowball painted out Manor Farm and in its place painted Animal Farm. And then he inscribed the seven commandments of animalism on the wall, which are on page 24 and 25. And I'm going to read them to you quickly because they're extremely important to remember. The seven commandments. One, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Two, whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. Three, no animal shall wear clothes. Four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. Five, no animal shall drink alcohol. Six, no animal shall kill any other animal. Seven, all animals are equal. So he paints that on the wall and the pigs tell everyone that these laws, quote, would form an unalterable law by which all animals on Animal Farm must live by forever after. They realized that the cows needed to be milked, so the pigs milk the cows and fill five buckets. And someone asks what will happen to the milk, and Napoleon assures them not to worry about it, but to go work in the field so that they can get the harvest in faster than Jones and his men ever had. And when the animals returned that evening, the milk was gone. Chapter 3. In chapter 3, a sort of, like, norm is brought about on the farm. So every day except for Sundays, the animals work hard to harvest the farm. Most animals work harder than they had before, except for a few. Molly usually starts later and ends earlier because she's lazy. The cat disappears during work hours and only reappears when it's time for food. The donkey worked at the same pace that he used to and Boxer worked the hardest. Okay, so on page 29, it says, Boxer was the admiration of everybody. He had been a hard worker even in Jones' time, but now he seemed more like three horses than one. There were days when the entire work of the farm seemed to rest on his mighty shoulders. From morning to night, he was pushing and pulling, always at the spot where the work was hardest. He had made an arrangement with one of the cockerels to call him in the mornings half an hour earlier than anyone else, and he would put in some volunteer labor to wherever seemed to be most needed before the regular day's work began. His answer to every problem, every setback was, I will work harder, which he had adopted as his personal motto. So for the rest of the summer, the animals continue working hard to harvest the farm, and each animal worked according to his or her own ability. No one complained over rations, and any jealousy that existed before had gone away. No one worked on Sunday, and each morning there was a ceremony. First, they hoist a flag that Snowball made out of Mrs. Jones' green tablecloth and painted a hoof and a horn. Snowball explains that the green represents the green fields of England, while the hoof and horn signified the future republic of animals which would arise when the human race had finally been overthrown. The Sunday meetings including the Sunday meetings included making resolutions for the coming week, and these were always set forth by pigs. None of the other animals were smart enough to come up with any on their own, but Snowball and Napoleon were always at odds with each other. They disagreed on basically everything and then they all voted on what should be done. The pigs, however, do not work at all. They use the harness room as headquarters. Napoleon puts his energy into educating the youth. Uh, Jesse and Bluebell, the dogs, had puppies, 
and once they were weaned off their mother, Napoleon secluded these puppies in a loft above the harness room to educate them. He's building his army. Snowball puts his energy into creating committees for the other animals, besides instituting classes in reading and writing. So while the committees were more or less a failure, the reading and writing classes were very successful. And by the beginning of the fall, all the animals were literate. However, the degrees by which they were literate varied greatly. Muriel and Benjamin could read just as well as the pigs, but Benjamin wasn't very interested in reading. Like I said, he's the oldest animal on the farm and all he does is complain about how life is really bad. The dogs could read but only wanted to read the Seven Commandments. The horses couldn't read but could identify letters of the alphabet. Clover knew the entire thing but wasn't able to put letters together. And Boxer only knew... A, B, C, D. And he'd get stuck after that. And Molly only cared about the letters of her name, obviously. And all the other animals could only learn the letter A. The animals who lacked intelligence were unable to learn the Seven Commandments, so Snowball highlighted the essential principle, which was four legs good, two legs bad. The pigs begin to take control over food rations, which I'm sure you could see coming. All the milk went into mixing the pig's mash, and the apples, which fell from the trees, all went to the pigs. At this revelation, many of the animals complained. So Squealer, the sassy little persuader that he is, is sent to share a message with the animals. He says, Comrades, you do not imagine, I hope, that we pigs are doing this in a spirit of selfishness and privilege. Many of us actually dislike milk and apples. I dislike them myself. Our sole object in taking these things is to preserve our health. Milk and apples, this has been proved by science, comrades, contain substances absolutely necessary to the well-being of a pig. We pigs are brain workers. The whole management and organization of this farm depends on us. Day and night we are watching over your welfare. It is for your sake that we drink that milk and eat those apples. Do you know what would happen if we pigs failed in our duty? Jones would come back. Yes, Jones would come back. Surely, comrades, surely there is no one among you who wants to see Jones come back. So the animals acknowledge that they do not want Jones to return and agree that all the milk and apples should go to the pigs. And that's on page 35 and 36. All right, chapter four. News of the animal farm spread across the country because pigeons were sent by Napoleon and Snowball to spread the news and teach the animals all over the country the Beast of England song. Mr. Jones is in town complaining to all the people, but nobody wants to help him. And the farms on either side of Animal Farm were on bad terms with each other. And therefore, Animal Farm isn't in danger of them joining together to take it. We talked about them in the beginning. Mr. Pilkington owns Foxwood Farm on one side and Mr. Frederick owns Pinchfield Farm on the other side. Both farm owners were afraid that their animals would try a rebellion of their own and they refused to call it Animal Farm and continued calling it Manor Farm. They laughed at Animal Farm and tried to make it look like a big joke and they lied saying that the animals were always fighting with each other and that they were starving and when this was proven wrong, they told their animals that it was wicked and that the animals on Animal Farm were cannibals. Rumors of rebelliousness among animals in the country started coming in. Some of the animals became hard to manage and the Beast of England song was sung all over the country. Farmers were getting annoyed and angry and punished their animals who were singing it. And in October, Jones and some of his men came to take back the farm. They had sticks and Jones had a gun. They were not prepared for this because 
the animals on Animal Farm had done prep work for this exact scenario. Snowball was in charge of defensive operations and told all the animals to go to their posts when they saw Jones and his men coming. Snowball's first attack were the pigeons from above and the geese from the ground. The second attack was the goats and sheep, Snowball leading them, rushing at the men and attacking them. They retreated after a while and the men cheered, but from behind the men, the horses and cows and pigs ambushed them. Jones fired his gun at Snowball, which grazed his back and killed the sheep behind him. Snowball flew at Jones, kicked him onto the ground, and the gun flew out of his hands. Boxer did a lot of damage, kicking men with his hooves. He knocked one of the men out, and the rest ran away. And the man on the ground that he knocked out, they thought he was dead. And Boxer felt really bad because he didn't mean to kill him. And Snowball tells him not to feel bad. He says, war is war. The only good human being is a dead one. That's on page 43. Boxer says he doesn't wish to kill anyone, even humans, and they realize that Molly is missing and they find her hiding in her stable because she was scared. When they go back out, the man they thought was dead is gone, so he must have like woken up and ran away. And the animals celebrate their victory and they give the sheep who died a funeral. Snowball gives a speech emphasizing the need for all animals to be ready to die for Animal Farm if need be. They decide to create a military decoration called Animal Hero First Class and they give it to Snowball and Boxer. And Animal Hero Second Class is given to the dead sheep. And they decide to call the battle the Battle of the Cowshed because that's where the ambush came from. They get Jones's gun and decide to fire it twice a year on the anniversary of the rebellion and the Battle of the Cowshed. Okay, chapter five. Molly has grown more and more troublesome. She keeps starting work late and ending early. She's caught letting a man from a neighboring farm pet her, and in her stall they find sugar lumps and green ribbon. A few days later, she disappeared, and the pigeons saw her at a farm down the road, and no one spoke of her again. It's decided on Animal Farm that the pigs are the most clever, this has already been decided. I don't know why they decided it again. But the pigs are the most clever and they should decide the best policies for the farm. But the other animals must ratify their decisions by majority vote. So this is made difficult by the fact that Napoleon and Snowball disagree on everything. It says each had his own following and there were some very violent debates. So the farm split into a sort of two-party system. Snowball usually got the majority vote by his brilliant speeches during meetings, but Napoleon was better at gathering support outside of the meetings. He was especially successful with the sheep, who out of nowhere would just yell, four legs good, two legs bad, over and over again. So Napoleon taught them this chant. These sheep were known to blurt this out in the middle of Snowball's speeches at the most crucial times. So clearly Napoleon has trained them to do so. Snowball studied a book called Farmer and Stock Breeder and became very knowledgeable about how things work on a farm. It says on page 48, Napoleon produced no schemes of his own, but said quietly that snowballs would come to nothing and seemed to be biding his time. Their biggest fight was over whether or not to build a windmill. Snowball wanted to build a windmill that would supply the farm with electricity, their stalls would be warm and light in the winter, and they could also have things like an electric milking machine. The animals were mesmerized by the idea that they could have machines that would do their work for them and they could relax more. And Snowball spent weeks drawing up the plans on the floor of his study, which was in a shed. 
and everyone came to admire his plans except Napoleon, who later came and peed on them. So the farm was divided. As always, Snowball knew it would be a lot of work, but he knew it would cut back their work to only three days a week once it was finished. And Napoleon argued that they needed to increase their food production, and at the moment, that was the most important thing to worry about. Benjamin, the old donkey. Is he a donkey? (laughs) I don't know. He might be a goat. (laughs) Goodness. Benjamin is a donkey. Okay. Benjamin is the only animal who doesn't pick a side. He didn't think that either plan would produce results. In the meantime, everyone was worried that the humans would attack again, and Napoleon wanted them to find weapons and train themselves to use them. Snowball wanted to send more pigeons to farms across the country and stir up the rebellion. So, on page 51, it says the animals listened to Napoleon first, then to Snowball, and could not make up their minds, which was right. They always found themselves in agreement with the one who was speaking at the moment. So the meeting finally came where they would have to decide whether or not to build the windmill. Snowball gave an amazing speech and then Napoleon stood up and quietly said that it was nonsense and told them to vote no. And that's all he said. Snowball stands up and gives another passionate argument and almost all the animals were on Snowball's side by now. By the end of the speech, everyone knew Snowball would win. But Napoleon stood up He made a high-pitched whimper, and at the noise, nine enormous dogs came into the barn and went straight for Snowball. Snowball ran out of the barn, and the dogs chased him all the way out of the farm. So he's gone. The animals were in shock, but they all reassembled in the barn, and they realized that the dogs were the puppies that Napoleon had taken from their mothers at birth and trained. I told you he was building an army. So Napoleon stands on the platform, and he tells the farm how things are going to be now. He says Sunday morning meetings are a waste of time and they will no longer be held. All decisions will be made by a special committee of pigs managed by himself. Things will no longer be voted on by all of the animals. Sundays, they would still gather to sing and raise the flag and be given their orders, but there would be no more debates. The animals were not down, obviously, but they couldn't seem to find the words for an argument. They're just uneducated enough to not know how to articulate how they're feeling. So the only animals with enough knowledge to protest were four young pigs in the front row. But as soon as they started arguing, the dogs growled at them and they stopped protesting immediately. And then the sheep broke out in their random four legs good, two legs bad chant, which is not random at all. Squealer was sent to further explain things that night. And you know how good he is at speeches. And I'm going to read this one again because I freaking love his speeches. So this is on page 55. Comrades, he said, I trust that every animal here appreciates the sacrifice that Comrade Napoleon has made in taking this extra labor upon himself. Do not imagine, comrades, that leadership is a pleasure. On the contrary, it is a deep and heavy responsibility. No one believes more firmly than Comrade Napoleon that all animals are equal. He would be only too happy to let you make your decisions for yourselves. But sometimes you might make the wrong decisions, comrades. And then where should we be? Suppose you had decided to follow Snowball with his moonshine of windmills. Snowball, who, as we know, was no better than a criminal. Okay, so he calls him a criminal. And the animals protest, saying that he fought bravely at the Battle of the Cowshed. Squealer says that bravery is not enough, and that Snowball's participation in the battle was exaggerated. And then he changes the subject by asking if they want Mr. Jones back. Obviously, none of them want that. And Boxer finally speaks and says, 
If Comrade Napoleon says it, it must be right. And from then on, his two maxims are, I will work harder, and Napoleon is always right. In the Sunday morning gatherings, they no longer all sat together. Napoleon and Squealer, and another pig named Minimus, sat on a raised platform in the front with the dogs surrounding them. The rest of the pigs sat behind them, and the other animals sat facing the pigs below them. Three weeks after Snowball's expulsion, Napoleon announces that the windmill will be built. This might force them to reduce the other's rations. The building of the windmill will take about two years, and the confusion the animals feel is washed away when Squealer comes to explain the situation, like always. He says that Napoleon was never against the windmill at all, but that Snowball had actually stolen Napoleon's plans for the windmill and pretended that they were his own. Napoleon only opposed the windmill because he was being smart and knew how to get rid of Snowball, who was a dangerous character and a bad influence. Squealer told them this was tactics, and though the animals did not know what that word meant, Squealer was very persuasive, and not to mention he had the dogs with him who were growling and threatening the other animals. So no one asked questions. Okay, that's the end of chapter five, also the end of this episode. In the next episode, we will be covering chapters six through 10 and themes. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram right now so that you can know when we post new books and also send your syllabi to our email, hello at briefpodcast.com so that we know what books you need briefed.